Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. morning, everyone. Good to see you all today. Welcome once again to our family Bible Hour. If you're a visitor here, I want to let you know that we started a journey in the book of Revelation back in January, and we are in chapter 8. So you can turn your Bibles there to chapter 8 of the book of Revelation. Notice it's not plural revelations, it is revelation. It's one revelation of the Lord Jesus given to John the Apostle. Now, we are preaching through one of uh, the toughest books of the Bible. It is tough. We admit that. For a variety of reasons, the book of Revelation is a tough book because there's definitely a lot of data in the book. There's a lot. If you're a data-oriented person, if you like data, then you will love this book. There's a lot of data. It is a book that is to be studied rather than just read in order to understand it's also tough because believers over time have taken different positions in terms of uh, the uh, sequence of the events in the, in the chronological order. And uh, Dave Johnson helped us understand some of those different viewpoints in terms of when the rapture would occur and when the middle point of uh, the uh, tribulation time is or when Jesus would come back uh, to the earth to rule his kingdom or set up his kingdom. And as a chapel, Dave Johnson mentioned, we believe in what the Bible teaches as the pre-tribulation rapture of the saints, which means rapture can happen any time. It will precede the tribulation period of seven years. We also believe in the premillennial return of Christ, which means the Lord Jesus Christ will return after the tribulation time visibly here on earth to set up his kingdom for a thousand-year period of time where he will rule in righteousness and justice. And here's another reason why the book is a bit heavy. The book of Revelation is a bit heavy book because of the magnitude of the events that will happen during the tribulation period. If you think of the distress and the persecution and the horrific things that are going to happen in this book, which we are going to get into more and more, it is really difficult to take it all in. You know, from a violent standpoint, the book is a very R-rated book. And if it was made in a movie, we won't show our children. But yet, these things need to happen because, remember, God is judging the earth. And then God is also dealing with his nation, with his people, Israel, at this point in time. He is unleashing his wrath on sin into this world. That's one of the reasons that church had to be taken out because church is part of uh, the bride of the Lord Jesus, and he is the bridegroom. And here's the good news, as I said. The good news is the church will not go through it. And we have promises in the New Testament that relate to that. The church will be spared from the tribulation. But the bad news is that if you have an unbeliever friend or an unbeliever relative, and if they don't come to know the Lord today, and if the Lord were to come tonight, they will have to go through tribulations. 
And they will have to face all these, uh, uh, the seal judgment and the trumpet judgment and the bowl judgment we're going to see in, uh, in the next uh, few chapters that we have in front of us. And, um, and, the, and, the, and the trials and the nature of the tribulations that are going to be coming would be in a proportion that the world had never seen before. And the Lord Jesus himself promised this and prophesied this in Matthew chapter 24. He said, For then there will be a great tribulation such as, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Imagine that. Now people can come and say, reading the passages today and say, this has never happened in the world before. You got that right. Things will happen in the future during the tribulation time that the world has never, ever, ever seen. The world will have to be prepared for that unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, when the tribulation period begins right here after rapture, at that point, a lot of people, a lot of people who are believers, the church would have been raptured. Now, if you think of the thousands and thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people who just be gone in a moment's notice in the twinkling of an eye, and the chaos and the confusion that that would bring to the world... And all the scientists and the astronomers will all be pulling every bit of knowledge they have and the record they have to just trying to understand what exactly just went on. And at that point, Antichrist comes into picture as represented by the white horse in chapter 6 that we saw a couple weeks ago. And he will make a peace treaty with the Jewish nation. And from that point on, you will see the world will go through a lot and lot of more changes from that point on. There'll be sword, pestilence, famine, death, earthquake, changes in sun and moon as we saw through the various seal judgments a couple weeks ago. And finally, man will realize that this is the hand of God doing this. And he would cry out and say, the great day of the wrath is here. Who can stand? Those are the first six seals that we saw a couple weeks ago. And here's the fancy chart that we've been showing every week. We are right here. I mean, not today, but right here in that chart in chapters 8 and 9 that we're going to take a look at today. Now, if you remember the scroll in chapter 5, or the book in, in chapter 5 that was sealed with seven seals. Six seals were broken in chapter 6. And the seventh is about to be opened. Now if you say the book is sealed with six seals, I'm sorry, seven seals, six is broken, there's only one more seal left, then you would think that that's it. We come to the end of the book of Revelation. And we are not even halfway through in the book of Revelation. And the reason is this. And the reason is there are three sets of sevens in the book of Revelation. So there's seven seal judgments. And then there are seven, judge, seven trumpet judgments. 
And then there are seven bowl judgment or veal judgment in the King James Version. You know, some have, some have uh, visualized it this way, that John has a Roman scroll in mind, and, and then the seal on these scrolls will be applied uh, this way. The, the first portion was written, and then it was sealed, and then the second portion was written, and then it was sealed, and then the third portion was sealed, and so on. And, when the fi and finally, when all the seals have been done, when you have the entire scroll in front of you, what you would do is you go in the reverse order, and then you open the first seal, and then you go through the content. And then you open the second seal, and you go through the content. You open the third seal, and you go through, go through, the, through the contents. So when the seventh seal is opened, people would be like, this is it. We have come to the last part of, of the scroll, and little would they realize that there's a lot more to come. Now, here is the relationship between the seven seals and the seven judgment or the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments. In the seventh seal, when the angel would open the seventh seal, it would lead to or it would open up to the seven judgments or seven trumpet judgments. So you go through one trumpet judgment after the other, and you come to the seventh trumpet judgment, and when the seventh trumpet is sounded, that would open up seven other judgments, which is called the bowl judgment. The seals were broken, trumpets will be sounded, and bowls will be bowled, or veal judgment will be poured out. So why is it called a trumpet judgment? You know, trumpet is used in the scriptures to announce something that is very, very important. You know, trumpets have been used multiple times in the Old Testament, in various phases in uh, Israel's history, and even during rapture, we are seeing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that the Lord himself will come with, with, with the other things. There will be the trumpet of God. So there's a special announcement that would be part of that. So trumpet really talks about something significant that is going to happen. So at this point in time, in terms of the timeline of the seven-year period in tribulation, we are right in the middle of it. It's a three-and-a-half period. So what comes in the three-and-a-half period mark? So the first three-and-a-half years is the tribulation time, and the second half is what is called a great tribulation time. And if you think that the trials and the tribulations and the persecutions where you can't, you can't handle it, in the first tribulation, for the first three and a half years, you can't, Im you can't even imagine what's going, to come, what's going to come up in the second three and a half years. So from that point on, the intensity of the persecution is really going to increase from this point. And we're going to go through some of the details here. And I think it is because of this significance of the intensity of the persecution that is going to come. We are reading in first. Uh, verse in chapter 8. So we can look at chapter 8, verse 1. It says, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half hour. There was silence for half, half hour. The half hour of silence really highlights the seriousness of what is going to be unveiled. Can you imagine? Heaven is going to be silent for half hour. You know, heaven is a very busy place. 
Now Dan was talking about the singing in heaven going on all the time. Yes, there will be singing all the time. Remember the four living creatures in, in chapter 4? You know what they would say? They would say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And how long would they do that? How frequent, frequently would they do that? Day and night. I'm sorry, what is your job? My job is to just see this, say these two sentences. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Or there may be one sentence, right? <laughs> for the rest of my life, for eternity. It's going to be going on for a long time. And in addition to the singing and the prayers of the saints that would go up there. And we're going to talk about the tabernacle there in a little bit. Heaven is a busy place. But in the midst of all this, heaven is coming to a screeching halt. Half hour, absolutely Nothing going on, and there's absolute silence. That should tell you about the seriousness that the Lord is placing upon the judgments in the second half of the tribulation. And then verse um, 2 there, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to him. I saw the seven angels. For the first time in the book of Revelation, we are, we are, we are reading about the seven angels. The seven angels. And um, the article, the seven angels, might indicate that they, these were not any random seven angels that were picked up to be handed over with the seven trumpets. These were like special seven angels that were there. And they were given a special place and they stand and, uh, and they stood in the presence of the Lord. And verses uh, 3, 4, and 5, let's read that. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds of flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So here is a reference to another angel. Some people think that it might be a reference to the Lord Jesus because of the priestly work that is happening in these three verses. Now what we're seeing in these three verses are a real glimpse into the scene of heaven. Now it is said that in heaven... Now remember, John is being transported there in the future. Now he's in heaven watching what is going on there. So what is going on there? So there is an altar there. And now there's an altar with a golden censer. And then the incense gets added to the prayers of the saints. So what's happening there? The prayers of the saints come up to, uh, to God's throne in heaven. And incense gets added and it's presented to God. And smoke comes from the presence uh, from uh, from the incense with prayer that goes before God. And in essence, what John is painting the scene in heaven is that there is a tabernacle in heaven. Now in Hebrews that Alfred was reading to reading for us from Hebrews chapter 9, and if you go back in one, one chapter, Hebrews chapter 8, we see that the tabernacle that was given to Moses was a pattern of the tabernacle up in heaven. And that's where the Lord Jesus Christ went with his own blood and he entered there into that perfect, perfect tabernacle not made with hands, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5. But the main point here is this. 
the prayers of the saints go up to the presence of God. You know, when you and I pray, it, do, it, it doesn't, I mean, it, it doesn't vaporize into the atmosphere. It goes several miles into the sky, into the very presence of God, where Jesus Christ puts his incense onto that, and it goes to the very presence of God. And I hope you understand the importance of prayer. Whatever prayer that would be in terms of whether individual prayer or family prayer or brothers getting together in prayer or a chapel-wide prayer meeting, don't give, don't underestimate the importance of prayer. Now here is something that's happening which is a direct response to the prayers of the saints. So this might be a reference to um, the prayers of the saints in chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 where the martyrs really cry out to the Lord, how long, O Lord, how holy and true will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on these who dwell on the earth? So these judgments are really a direct answer to the prayers of the saints. Let's get into some of these uh, trumpet judgments here. Number one, the trumpet number one, verse seven. So in verse six, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them, the first sounded and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown, into, thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burnt up, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Hail and fire mixed with blood. This is uh, similar to uh, the seventh plague that we see in um, Exodus chapter 9 of Egypt, where hail shattered every plant of the field and every tree of the field. Now, can you imagine? One-third of the trees is gone. The best way to interpret this is a literal interpretation, just not to complicate, complicate things. So half or one-third of, of the trees is gone. One-third of the earth is burned. Can you really imagine the devastation that this will have on the ecological system on earth? And how this is going to affect the climate and temperature and the rainfall and the lives of uh, the cattle, the whole livestock, and how that's going to be affected because of this big change that would come when the first angel sounds the first trumpet. Verse 8, the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life, died, and the third of the ships were destroyed. Something like a great mountain. Now that, you can't take that literally because it says something like a great mountain. It's not a great mountain, something like one. So people think, commentators think, that this could be a big asteroid that would hit the earth at that point in time. So it is definitely symbolic right here. So it could be a big asteroid or a comet like this. Now there is a collision monitoring system called Sentry that continually scans the most current asteroid catalog for the possibilities of a future impact with Earth over the next hundred years. And they say, and this is actually monitored by the Jet Propul Propulsion Laboratory at Caltech in Pasadena, but it's part of NASA, then they say there's one in 300 chance that an asteroid called 1950 DA, which is about 1.3 kilometer wide, 
which is about 0.8 miles for those of us who are metrically challenged. Now, we will hit the Earth on March 16th, 2880 AD. Okay, so it's not going to be in our lifetime. But imagine an, an asteroid of 1.8 kilometer or 0.8 miles wide, just to give you an understanding of how big this is. So here's a couple images here. So this is the big one, 1950 DA. 1950 DA is the asteroid. I mean, look at all these uh, building sizes there, the Eiffel Tower and the, the World Trade Center or whatever it's called now. And, and the different buildings there, it's going to be, it's, it will surpass the length or the height of all these. And here's another picture compared to the Empire State Building. This is huge. This is humongous. I mean, this is going to be thrown into the sea. And they say the impact of an asteroid that's half a mile wide will be an equivalent of one million ton of TNT. I don't know what that is. I'm just telling what I read. <laughs> but this, when this gets thrown into the sea, you will see the impact of it. What is, what is the impact of it? The impact of that is that one-third of the sea becomes blood, one-third of the sea creatures died, and one-third of the ships are destroyed. And that's a lot. Now, when you say that one-third of the sea turns into blood, it is like 33% of the ocean becomes blood. And you know that three-fourths of uh, the Earth's uh, surface is water. So 75% is water. And if you calculate the one-third of it, in terms of the uh, size of the entire Earth, 25% of the Earth will be blood. And no wonder one-third of the sea creatures die. Now, can you imagine the stench from the sea when all these sea creatures die? And here is another interesting fact about how uh, this thing that would happen in the sea will affect the people on Earth. The scientists estimate that 50 to 80% of the oxygen production on Earth comes from the ocean. And the majority of this production is from oceanic plankton, which is a drifting plant or an algae or some sort of a bacteria that can photosynthesize. Phytoplankton, it is the one that primarily produces this, meaning they use the photosynthesis to convert carbon dioxide into oxygen and is responsible for up to half of the oxygen we breathe. Now, this particular species of plankton which is called uh, Prochlorococcus, is the smallest photosynthetic organism on Earth. Now, this small bacteria, very small, you can't see it with the naked eye, this little bacteria produces about 20% of the oxygen in our entire biosphere that is higher, than, higher percentage than all the tropical rainforests on land combined. I didn't make it up. I just did some research and found this out. And uh, one of these famous people called Sylvia Earle, a National Geographic explorer, has estimated that Prochlorococcus provides oxygen for one in every five breaths we take. Imagine that. And imagine the effect of that on mankind on Earth in the second three and a half years. And I'm not a big science fiction movie fan. I've hardly watched science fiction movies. 
But this uh, past week, I came across a, a movie called uh, 2067. I don't know how many of you have watched, but I watched the trailer of that movie. The story is about the Earth in the future that's been ravaged by clim cli uh, climate change, and the humanity is forced to live on artificial oxygen. Now, that has nothing to do with Revelation 8. The story goes on to say that some hero comes and he rescues the planet and, and, and so on. But it's really interesting how much can man think, based on the climate change today, what might happen in the future, and they can you know, make movies out of it and ultimately make money. <laughs> and then one-third of the ships get destroyed. You know, it says, at a given moment, there are 50,000 merchant ships crisscrossing the oceans, carrying about 5 million container, containers stuffed with goods. And imagine one-third of that is gone, and the ramifications of that on the e-commerce in the world. And the third trumpet in verse... The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood because many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. A great star fell from heaven. This could be another comet or an asteroid or a bunch of asteroids, but this time it doesn't fall on the, on the sea, but it falls and the rivers, on the rivers, and one-third of the rivers and the springs of water become wormwood. Imagine one-third of the drinking water becomes bitter. What will you drink? And uh, the wormwood is a, is a symbol of bitterness in the Old Testament. It's a, a symbol of sorrow and judgment and, and death. But then it's, it's a bitter herb. It's not only bitter, it could be poisonous too. So that's why you read there, many men died during this time because of lack of water. So in the first three judgments, the first three trumpet judgments, we have seen the ecological and the environmental disaster on earth. And you can also imagine at this time how much the, uh, the, the scientists and the astronomers will be going crazy to figure out why this all happened, why there's all of a sudden falling of asteroids or comets, and why all of a sudden ships getting destroyed, and so on. When that is taking place, the fourth angel will sound his trumpet, and the Lord will touch the celestial objects at this point. And look at uh, verse uh, 12 there. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so the third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. A third of the sun, moon, and stars were struck. This could mean that the 24-hour cycle of day and night will be reduced to like 16 hours. Imagine the cold weather because there's not enough sunlight here on earth. So here you go, you have a cold earth, much less water, less oxygen, more carbon dioxide, a struggling economy. Do you want to be there? And the Lord Jesus prophesied this, this particular one touching the celestial object. He said 
There will be signs and suns and moons and stars and on earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the seas and the waves, men fainting from fear and expectation of things which are coming upon the world for the power of the heavens will be shaken. Now this is God doing things. The Lord is shaking things to really see, we're going to see at the end of this chapter, whether man would really come to know him and would repent. You know, how much of these do the people of the world take for granted today, isn't it? You know, the sun is about 93 million miles away from Earth. Wow. 93 million miles away from Earth. But if the Earth moves about 10 feet closer to, to the sun, we'll all be burnt up. And if the earth moves 10 feet away from the sun, we'll all be frozen to death. That's how intricate and accurate is God's design. No wonder the word says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Honestly, it only takes common sense to think of all these accurate designs of, that is there in the world today and just to say, there must, be, there, there must be a designer behind this all. To be able to sustain in this level of precision, there's got to be someone there. When all this is happening in verse 13, then I looked and heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels that are about to to sound. Now this eagle, eagle could be uh, one of the flying creatures mentioned in uh, chapter 4 who is described as someone like a flying eagle. But nevertheless, the point of uh, the message here is that the, the, the next three trumpet judgments that are going to come is called woe, woe, woe. Now if, if you think this is something that can be tolerated, you wait until you get to Five, six, and seven. That's basically the message. In chapter nine, we're going to see uh, trumpets five and six. When you go to trumpet five, verse one of chapter nine, and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit, and the smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and the power was given to them as of the scorpions of the earth have power. So we'll, we'll pick up the verses as we move along here. So you see in verse 1, a star from heaven. Now in, in chapter 8, we saw two places where a great mountain, a star-like mountain came down and fell on earth. And then later in um, trumpet uh, 3, there was... Um, a great star fell from heaven, so which was a reference to uh, an asteroid or a comet. Now, in, in the fifth trumpet, when it says a star from heaven had fallen into the earth, it is not referring to an object, it is referring to a person. If you look at the end of verse uh, 1, it says the key of the bottomless pit was given to, to him, which is a person. And in verse 2, he opened the bottomless pit bottomless pit. So who is this person? This person is Satan. 
Now, Satan is referred to as a star in many places in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 in King James Version, he's called Lucifer. Now, Lucifer is loosely translated as uh, the son of the morning star or the star of the morning in uh, other translations. But if you look at the word Lucifer, Lucifer comes from the word lux, which means light, and fair, which means bringer or light gatherer or a light bringer. And the Lord himself said in Luke uh, 10, 18, and he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like, like lightning. Now, when we go to chapter 12 in a few weeks, you will see that there's a war between Satan or dragon in that particular place and the archangels in heaven. And uh, the great dragon at that point represented by Satan, or it's a reference to Satan, will be thrown down to heaven. So maybe this verse in, in chapter 9, verse 1, and chapter 12 could be happening at the same time. We do not know for sure. But the point is, Satan will be thrown down to heaven to fulfill certain things. And now, we're going to look at the bottomless pit. The keys of the bottomless pit was given to him. So what is bottomless pit? The bottomless pit in Hebrew is called the deep, a very deep place. And it is translated uh, from abusos in Greek, which is, uh, by, from which we get the word abyss. Abyss is the bottomless pit. Now, it is a phrase used in the Bible to denote the abode of certain demons in the scriptures. We read that this especially dark and a deep prison house where it is said that it could be a compartment within Hades, we do not know, but this place is used to reserve some of the demons for judgment in the future. So we have a reference in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Now when Satan is thrown down into, down here on earth, he will be given the authority to open this bottomless pit. When he opens the bottomless pit, Look at verse 3, then out of the smoke came locusts upon this earth. Now, these locusts are not literal locusts, and, and there's uh, plenty of uh, places to, to understand why this is not literal locusts, because literal locusts in this passage has a king, whereas locusts in general do not have a king, and we see that in the book of Proverbs. But here... The locust refers to some sort of demons that would come out of the bottomless pit. And what was their job? Their job was to hurt people. Look at verse 5. And they were permitted not to kill anyone or permitted, not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torments was like a torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. So John is seeing. John is in the first century. Now John is looking ahead probably, maybe two, definitely minimum 2,000 and 2,100 years or so, looking into the future, he's seeing these things happening. And he really doesn't know how to accurately portray this, so he's describing these things that is coming out of the bottomless pit. Look at how he describes. They are like horses prepared for battle in verse 7. And they have heads, appear to be crowned like gold, and their faces were like men, 
and their hair were like the hair of women, and they were teeth like the teeth of lions, probably talk about the ferociousness of these creatures, of these demons. They had breastplates, like breastplates of iron. They were very, very well protected. They had wings that sounded like that of chariots. They were very fast and swift. They had tail like scorpions, very lethal in their attack. Their names were called Abaddon or Apollyon, which means destruction. Now, based on these descriptions, some commentators or some interpreters believe that this could be like an Apache helicopter. <laughs> you know, they have crown in their heads, which is like the blades of the, blades of the helicopter. And John was looking into the cockpit, and there was a man in the cockpit, so he had the face of a man. And, you know, and, and uh, I don't know what the long hair means. Um, and, and so, but the main point is, we don't know. We don't know who they are. But what we know is that these are either demons, real demons, or these are men possessed by demons. And what will they do? They will hurt people. They will hurt people. They will not kill. They're not given permission to kill, except the 144,000 uh, evangelists that we saw last week. They will not hurt who they will not hurt, but other than that they will hurt everyone else. And we move on to the sixth trumpet here, which is the second woe. Look at verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before, the, before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now a voice comes from the four horns of the golden altar. We saw that there was an altar in heaven. The altar had four horns and the voice comes from four horns saying, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now these four angels are not the uh, four angels, good angels that we see in chapter 7 and verse 1. These four angels are bad angels. They were bound to the great river Euphrates. Euphrates is um, the river that is mostly, most frequently mentioned in the Bible. Euphrates has its origin in Eden, we know that, and which is in the um, area of Babylon in modern-day Iraq. And uh, Babylon has been associated with uh, God's judgment. Now, if you look at the details of what these four angels can do, they will gather an army of about 200 million horsemen. And that's an astronomical number for a military. Look at the military sizes of, of some of these countries. The top country with, with the most number of military personnel is China with about what? Two million. One percent of 200 million. And India follows second and the U.S. very close to that. So 200 million is, is, is a lot of people. And no wonder... The purpose, of one of the purposes of them is to kill one-third of the mankind. Now, if you, if you do a little bit of calculation, the world population today is, is about 8 million. I mean, 8 billion, sorry. And there'll be a number of people who'll be raptured, hopefully a lot. And then in, the, in one of the seals, the fourth seal, one-fourth of the population will be killed. That's about two billion people before all this. So we left about six billion people or so, and they'll be martyrs during the tribulation time. But if you say out of the six billion, 
one-third are going to be killed by this 200 million strong military of demons, that would also mean another 2 billion would be killed, which means about 4 billion would be killed, which is half the population of the world today. The three and a half years of Great Tribulation is no fun at all. And look at the um, description of these, of these uh, demons. They have the color of the breastplate, fire, hyacinth, and brimstone. The head of the horses were like that of lions. Their mouth came, from their mouth came fire, smoke, and brimstone. These were like the plagues, and with these plagues, they will kill, kill people. And then we finally come to the saddest part of the chapter here. If you can take a look at the last two verses as we close here. The last two verses of chapter 9. If you either look at your Bibles or look, at, look up at the screen. 20 and 21, the rest of the mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as to not worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk and they did not repent of their murders nor their sorceries nor of their immorality nor of their thefts. It's like, oh my. The two-thirds of the people left here on earth. You would really think that two-thirds of the people would come and fall before the Lord and repent of their sins because the Lord is judging the world. Remember, the 144,000 people will still be evangelizing, right? There'll be some who will come to know the Lord. But the vast majority will be like the world today or even worse, they will not repent. The word repent means metanoia, meaning change your mind. Changing mind. Why would they not change their mind? Because they love their idol worship. Very specifically it's mentioned, isn't it? The idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Can you imagine the, the, um, the mind of God regarding idolatry is saying, I'm sending so much of tribulation. You know, God is a just God. He has to judge the world. He has to condemn sin. But if he's a loving God, he has to make provision for people to come to know him. And he will give provision and opportunity for every individual to come to know him. And if you don't come to know him, in his love he goes beyond what he should. And he allows these trials and tribulations so that others will learn from it and come to know him. And the midst of all these tribulations that is going on, the heart of God is people are still not repenting. What do I do? Now you don't want to be in that place. You don't want to be in tribulation. The good news that we want to present today is today is the day of salvation. You never know whether you're going to survive the first half of tribulation, whether you're going to survive one day in tribulation for that matter. You don't know. I want to close with this, word, uh, with this verse. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow about His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Is that you? Is that you who have not come to know the Lord, who has not repented and have trusted in the Lord Jesus to be your Savior and Lord? who has made this provision by sending Jesus on the cross to die for your sins 
Is that you? And is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, not wishing that you should perish, but for you to come to repentance. The beauty of repentance is anybody can come. Anybody. You believe in the Lord Jesus and repent, you will become a child of God. And I trust you will do that today. Father, we thank you for this powerful passage from Revelation 8 and 9. As much as we see the horrific things in it, Lord, we also see the kindness of the Lord, the loving goodness of the Lord there in his appeal to people and, and his heart being revealed finally and he's saying the rest of the mankind did not repent, which means you are still appealing even in the tribulation time. How much more so today, Lord, that you're appealing to people to repent and come to know you. Father, we ask that someone who is here who has not come to know you will do that today and use the opportunity to trust in you and become your child. We thank you, Lord, for all your goodness to us and for the scriptures that have been given to us for us to be able to enjoy it, study it, be warned from it so we uh, live a life that pleases you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.